in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The Aces host the first game of the semifinals in the WNBA playoffs on Sunday against the Seattle Storm. I don't think they're going to have much problem. Do you, Ed? I mean, I, I go back to what you said. If Brianna Stewart goes crazy, I mean, they've got four number one, four number one draft picks. They're they're talented enough, and I'm not so sure the three of the four in the in the regular season means that much. Although they beat them twice in the last week of the season, so. I think you're right. They're going to win the series, but there could be some trouble along the way. Seattle is good enough to beat the Aces uh, three times in five games. No doubt about that. But I just think it's going to take too many either A, impressive games from Brianna Stewart or somebody else on Seattle, right? They've got Jewel Lloyd, Sue Bird, Tina Charles that could do it too. Or the flip side of that is it's going to take multiple games of the Aces being bad. Really bad. Missing shots, not defending. And like, again, in a five-game series, it's totally, it's likely that the Aces are going to have a bad game, right? The Aces will play a game where they I don't just, think it's a sweep. Right, where they just can't make a shot and whatever. Right. They're going to play bad, but I just have a hard time seeing the Aces play poorly three times or Brianna Stewart going crazy three times. Like, it's it just feels like the margin for error is much smaller for Seattle and the Aces have a little bit more leeway to where, oh, we can have a bad game, too, and still be fine in the series. Whereas if, if Seattle has one bad game, that might be enough. Because if they both play well, I think the Aces, then the Aces win, win every time they both sort of play a good game. Happy to move on to the, to the next question here, Aaron. Lights FC host Rio Grande Valley Saturday at 730. Rio Grande Valley, last place in the West. So this is... Um, Obviously, they're not eliminated if they lose because there's still eight games left in the season, but Lights holding on to one of the last playoff spots really need to beat the worst team in the West in a home game if they're going to seriously make the playoffs for the first time in franchise history. Also, Saturday night, it's the Dog Olympics back at Cashman Field. Running through obstacle courses? Yeah. What do they do? Yeah. I did Have it you last, seen it? I did it last year. Oh, you did, you with, did it with uh, your dog? Yeah, with our French Bulldog, Squash. Okay. Um, yeah, did it last year. I got robbed. Um, so... <laughs> Well, Squatch probably got robbed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did the whole thing with him. I crawled through the little tube with him because he wouldn't go through it. So, (laughs) yeah, totally got robbed. Uh, But, yeah, Dog Olympics. There's a little obstacle course for him to run through. It's fun. This year, no? Uh, Well, Squash is no longer with us, unfortunately. Um, We just adopted Tyson. He's got a vet appointment at like 4.30 Saturday afternoon. Yeah, it's not... no, uh, No chance to warm up. And he's not like... He's not great walking with us. He's been better the last couple of days, but he's still very slow. I don't know that he would make it through an obstacle course is what I'm trying to say here. So, no, Tyson will not be in the obstacle is Tyson course. Can you not to... just hold him like a football and run through the obstacle course? No, there's a little tube that the dog has, is supposed to go through by himself that's like, you know, I went through, I crawled through it with my dog last year. So, no, I could not hold him through it. Can you get one of those things that, like, they put babies in and just have him, like, on your it's chest? Too big. Oh, he's too big. Uh, I'd be oh, top heavy and fall heavy over. fall over yeah. the bulldog. Is Tyson one to see grass and just fall into it after walking for five feet? What do you mean by fall? Is that what, is that what Rory does? That's... Rory loves grass, but he's also completely out of shape. So, he'll walk a little and he'll see grass and he just collapses. <laughs> 
<laughs> then we give Rory about 30 seconds and we pull the leash like, let's go, let's go. Come on, finish the walk. You this dog finish is great. It. I love that. <laughs> this oh, dog relief. sounds like a cat. It's like literally just like, I lay down now. <laughs> Next question. Uh, Jared, you should hit the press box transition button. Okay, I didn't know that. I thought we were doing the, the next two stories. Press box deserve it. transition. <laughs> yeah. Aaron Donald swung a helmet at Bengals players during a fight at joint practice. Um, according to reporting yesterday, the NFL can't punish Aaron Donald no, for swinging a helmet. Have nothing to do with these joint practices. Which, which sounds incredibly crazy. stupid to me. They can investigate everything else. But then he starts swinging a helmet at people, and they can't do anything it's to not it. us. We right. can't do it. That sounds stupid as is. So it is up to the Rams. Rams to punish Aaron Donald or anybody else in this matter. And the Bengals, same for their side and any players that they think might have done something wrong during a I mean, joint practice fight. We heard the show before, and I thought uh, whoever made the point was a little off base where they're like, he shouldn't be suspended. What about the guys who shove people? There's certain levels to this, and shoving is not some guy swinging a helmet and potentially doing damage to people by swinging what is, you know, I don't know if it's a weapon, but it certainly is. Aaron Donald's a very large human being, and swinging a helmet could really do damage. So I don't think shoving someone should, you know, be related to swinging a helmet. There is a line in physical confrontations during practices, joint practices, or even games. Shoving is very clearly on the side of, okay, you're fine. That happens a lot. And swinging a helmet is very clearly on the side of, that's not okay. Right. right? I don't know exactly where the line is, but I know those two things are on opposite sides yes. of the line. Aaron Donald has to be suspended. I do not know how Should you be. Can, I'm not so sure they will. Right. I don't know how you can not suspend Aaron Donald for swinging a helmet right. at an opponent. Miles Garrett did it in a game. And what did he get? Six games yeah. for that? Which, hell, that felt like. You said you're not sure of his weapon. That is a weapon. Aaron Donald swinging a helmet at somebody is a weapon. Because he is, I couldn't really tell from the video, but there was like, apparently he had two helmets. That means there were two helmetless Bengals. Yes. Somewhere in the vicinity. Helmets were rolling around on the ground. While he's swinging this helmet. I am, I, I don't quite comprehend the logic of the NFL can't punish people for what they do in joint practices. That sounds incredibly stupid given they can punish someone for everything else and investigate everything right. else i don't understand right like everything off the field they can investigate yeah punish you for it but if it's in a joint that, that makes zero sense whatsoever but i i don't think the rams will but you, you can't swing helmets at people like you you can't do that like that should not at any point be allowed and if you're the rams you don't have to because you're not obligated by anybody to do so. But suspending Aaron Donald is like the right thing to do. Yes. I, to me, is like the bare minimum thing to do because that's a ridiculous thing to do. Press box transition. I guess technically this isn't a transition from like happy fun story to sad. This is just bad this to bad. Another serious story, even more serious. Right. So yeah, this is Jared turns off his mic. <laughs> Bill's punter Matt Ariza has been accused of raping a 17-year-old girl. Uh, this accusation comes from when he was at San Diego State. There are two former teammates of Arises at San Diego State who are also included in this accusation. Um, Ariza allegedly raped the girl outside of his house, then took her inside into a room where she was raped by multiple men for an hour and a half. The part that gets interesting from like the team side, both San Diego State and the Bills, 
is how much of this was known and when was it known? And when was it known? Because from what I read yesterday, the police investigated this because the, the girl called the police, went to the police the next day. There was a rape kit done to collect evidence. Uh, the police actually had her call the men that she claimed to do this and like advised her on questions to ask to try to get them to admit guilt or just get more evidence or clues on it. But nothing ever happened despite that police investigation. And from what I read yesterday, the police told San Diego State not to get involved in this, which I thought was very weird, which is why this was apparently a well-known thing that happened at San Diego State. And Matt Ariza was never punished or the other two players were never punished while at San Diego State. That's the college side of who knew what and when did they know the professional side. Um, according to Tim Graham, the Bills did not know this happened when they drafted Matt Ariza, but they did know this month when they cut Matt Hack, which effectively made Matt Ariza the, the punter, the, the starter, punter, punter, the, yeah, the, punter the only the punter on the roster. If it's you remember, a bad look for everybody. Right, Ariza fell in the draft. He should have been the first punter that, taken. That was my question. Did the did those other teams know? And there's a possibility they did. It was, I, it's been it's been out there. I have to assume they did. There's like there was that quote about oh he punts it too far, but there's there was no legitimate reason for Matt Ariza not to be the first punter right. taken based on his on field punting ability. But if this is the case, and if NFL, and here's the part, if other NFL teams knew about it, the Bills should have known about it too. Like if Did I don't you know, do I don't any know investigating on the kid, I don't even know which teams took punters. Whatever, the Bengals or somebody. If they knew about it, the Bills yeah. should have known about it. And I just, I'm, I. That's the part that blows me away is that. And as other punters fall off the board, don't you start asking yourself why? Probably. I mean, don't you like this is not whether the Bills were thinking about him in the beginning in that round. Maybe they were, but other punters go. You, you got to say what's up with this kid. Why? Why are three punters? I think it was three that went ahead of him. Right. It's so the the sort of levels here. The obvious like revolting part is what Matt Ariza allegedly did, and two of his teammates at San Diego State. And then the next parts of this are what the hell happened at San Diego State right. to where. They didn't do anything about this. What the hell happened with the police investigation? Why is the police telling San Diego State not to, like, suspend I, them? I don't know. And why, like, this is a, if I am reading it this is a civil lawsuit. That the no, this is civil. This is, not, this is not uh, criminal. This is civil. What happened to the investigation and a criminal uh, situation for matter? Like, that's the part I don't, like, according to the story yesterday in the LA Times, there was a police investigation. She went to the police the day after it happened. Rape kit collected. She called the men she accused with the police there. Like, what What happened? Like, they just stopped? They got all this and just quit? Or was there no evidence to pursue it? I, I just don't understand what happened on multiple levels between the police, San Diego State, and then the Bills slash NFL. His lawyer, for his part, is saying it's a shakedown. Did you see his quote? Because he he's said, now placed with the Buffalo did Bills. Did you see he hasn't? looked into it but the accusations are false How i didn't see the part where he I'm... hasn't looked into it yeah he said like and he's and so two things that were said hasn't looked into it but he's he knows it's false and that it's a shakedown because he plays for the bills even though all of this happened like she went to the police when he was still at san diego yeah. state she didn't she didn't just suddenly say 
oh, he raped me after he got the starting punter job with the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> she wasn't waiting around for that. She went to the police the day she after She went to it the happened. police the next day. When he was at it, like, incredible, just like, ah, I haven't paid any attention to this. But clearly it's false, and they just want money because he plays for the Bills yeah. now. Great question. Artie Moreno would not allow the Angels front office to trade Shohei Otani at the trade deadline, according to The Athletic. Ken Rosenthal says that Moreno knew that he was planning to sell the team at the trade deadline and didn't allow his front office well, to trade him. You got you got the reason down here that he wanted to sell tickets. He sell mm. he trade Otani, and you're going to get fewer people out there than already are, given your, what, I don't know how many games are back there, but they have no chance. So, People would you buy the him. Angels without Otani? Well, I'm going to say if you're if you're if you're a prospective owner of the Angels, do you have to have Otani when you buy the team, or are you looking well, at it he saying can walk after 2023? Right, or are you looking at it saying, well, I might not sign this guy. He might not even want to play for me. Um, he should be traded for as many assets as possible because. This trade deadline would probably be better than next trade deadline. Trade right. the guy based on how many years of control you get back. So I, I it depends on the owner, I guess. But I think you could make an argument either way that buying the team, you'd be more interested with Otani. You could also make an argument you might be more interested without Otani because, hey, go get seven Especially prospects. if you think you're going to lose them. Right. Go get seven prospects for the guy. And that would put me as the new owner in a better right. position to win in 2025 or whatever year that would be. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Bryce Harper is set to return to the Phillies today. He had thumb surgery after he fractured it on June 25th after getting hit by a pitch from Blake Snell. The Phillies have actually been very good since Bryce Harper went They're out. They're ahead of the pods. They are second in the wild card in the National League. The Braves have a pretty good gap between the Phillies and the Padres, but the Phillies are ahead of the Padres. In fact, the Braves could win the division. They could, yes. They could jump the Mets, and the Mets could be in that wild card spot. But uh, Phillies actually kind of good. They got a couple yeah. of good starters. They they built their lineup of a bunch of guys that can't play defense but hit home runs. But they hit home runs. Just, they they like, can hit. They mash. Is Kyle Schwarber yes. still hitting like 208 yeah. with like 35 They're home so runs good. or something like that? Like he only they can score hits home runs. runs. Yeah. So they're an interesting team that they probably get eliminated in the postseason on like some weird error in left field. But they're a team that has a couple of good starting pitchers and has some offense that especially in that three game wild card scenario they could beat the Braves or the yep. Mets like I don't they're not going to be favored I don't think they actually will but it wouldn't be that shocking if you know Kyle Schwarber Nick Castellanos and Bryce Harper got hot and won a three game playoff series does the, the okay help me out here the third place would play the a division winner yes or? third place so in the National League right now the Padres would play the Cardinals and then the well, Phillies would play the Braves I mean <laughs> I I don't know. I'd rather be the Padres. I think so too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You'd rather be the third wild card yeah, than the second, than the wild, second card. wild card. Yes. Yes. In that. Yeah. In both divisions. And then the Mets and Dodgers would have a buy. Right. Mets and Dodgers get a buy. And the Dodgers would play the winner of Phillies Braves, and the Mets would play the winner of Cardinals Padres. I mean, if I'm sitting third right now, I'm feeling good. I mean, I don't know if they beat the Mets, but that's you get you. Avoid the Dodgers Braves and yeah. you, you ha just you know you have to beat the Well Mets. right now is the Braves, so Braves are the okay. third or third you're saying third wild card. Team. I'm saying yeah. third wild card. If I'm the Braves. Padres right now, everyone's like, Well, the Brewers could overtake them, but if I can stay in third, I yeah. kinda like that. The Padres path right now is Cardinals, Cardinals Mets. Mets 
NLCS. And the Dodgers path to be Braves-Mets? Well, Braves and then Mets in the NLCS. Yeah. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into some UNLV football. We need to be really concerned about fan, fan interest, and the more good games that we play, the more fan interest there are. There is. So I've always been an advocate of playing more SEC games and of always trying to play somebody out of conference that's going to create some fan interest. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition. I'm going to repeat something I saw on the internet and did no actual confirmation looking it up myself. I believe Alabama is playing just their third ever non-conference road game under Nick Saban this year. Did they need a check? <laughs> yeah, to pay his salary. He just signed a 70-72. He's going, well, his contract's through 80. Yeah. They play a lot of um, neutral site games, but yeah. true road non-conference games. I Do you know who it is? It's the Texas this year. Uh, wow. Okay. But it's, I believe, only the third time they've done it since well, Nick Saban took over. And if I... If- non-conference is stretching it a bit, right? Because this is still for a few years, and this was scheduled before Texas was going to the SEC. But, uh, yeah, I, that had nothing to do with what he said. I just saw that and wanted to repeat something I haven't confirmed. So it might be inaccurate. It opens with that Mountain West juggernaut, Utah State. Ah, you got to start with Utah State. Okay. Now that's a check. <laughs> I'll right. paying them. Alabama gets to run up a triple digits on us. That's fine. Utah, that's all right. We'll take the million. All right. Ed, I, I'm curious how big of a deal you think this is. Earlier in the week, we talked about this with Adam Candy, but... UNLV is going to play Idaho State, and instead of playing on UNLV's turf, they're going to play on the Raiders grass field. The end zones are still going to say Raiders instead of UNLV or Rebels, and the apparent reasoning behind this is the Raiders are going to play a game tonight, and then tomorrow at 1230, UNLV plays a football game. That's apparently not enough time to change from grass to turf. Uh, Marcus Arroyo, Steve Cofield posted a video. Marcus Arroyo didn't seem too thrilled about it. He complained about not being able to practice on the grass because I guess the Raiders weren't letting UNLV in for a walkthrough of any sort. Uh, and so they haven't had a chance to practice on grass. They've done all their practice on turf. I don't know how big of a deal that is, but Arroyo didn't seem entirely pleased. Plus, you add into this the extra detail that the last time we saw the grass at Allegiant Stadium, it looked dead because... Soccer games are too much for it. Still blown away that that was an excuse. But the field already looks bad. And now UNLV is going to play, what, approximately 16 hours, 15 hours after the Raiders finish on the same grass. Is this a big deal at all? I think if you're UNLV, you think it's a big deal. I think if you're UNLV, you once again think, oh, short straw here. You know, that, um, that, you know, we're... We're, the Raiders are just dictating everything, which we always knew they would if you read the agreement, right? <laughs> I mean, you've, you've quoted the agreement a lot in terms of what UNLV is supposed to get. So if I'm UNLV, I think it's a big deal. Yeah. I, if I'm a Royal, I'm not happy. Right. And so that, that to me is the interesting part. UNLV, how unhappy are they with this? Because if you read through the joint use agreement that UNLV signed, the contract UNLV signed with the Raiders to use Allegiant Stadium, This is one of the sentences in that clause. For all UNLV team home games, licensor, which is the Raiders, shall provide licensee, UNLV, with an artificial turf field at the Raiders' sole cost and expense. Right. That's, this is completely against that. Right. And so 
earlier this week when we had Sam and Ash on, I read them that, told them the scenario, and Ash's, uh, her logical conclusion, without actually knowing what happened here, was that there was potentially some sort of, like, side deal, like the UNLV got something else to agree to do this because otherwise the Raiders are violating the contract they signed with UNLV. So did UNLV get some sort of monetary compensation or something else that they would have wanted out of this? Do you think given the legislature passed this and it was a public, uh, it was a public uh, vote that we should be told every time something like that happens? Yes. I agree. Yes. It was tax money. I agree that if UNLV got, Look, I'm throwing out a number here. I have no clue. Hundred grand. I don't know. I don't right. know what the number would be. Hundred thousand dollars. Then we should be told that. Right. So you like, okay, well, UNLV made the choice to take yeah. this monetary benefit, so they'd play on the grass because it's public money and because it involves a public university. That's why we have the actual. We've got the full contract between yeah. UNLV and the technically and, it's between the stadium authority, but the essentially the Raiders. We have the full contract because it's public money in a public university, right? So any. Any contract, any side deal that UNLV would have signed to say, hey, we will allow the Raiders to break the contract because they're going to give us blank should be public. I actually I'm pretty sure you can we can FOIA that we can just ask UNLV for it. And if they have it, they'd have to give it to us. So, yeah, it should be public that, hey, UNLV is agreeing to play on the grass field because they're getting so blank. much or right. something else, whatever. They're if they did not get that, then UNLV is simply allowing the Raiders to break their contract. Right. Which and here's the other part of that: if one party just allows the other party to break the contract, then they're just going to break the contract. Like if UNLV doesn't put up a fight over this, like because I'll be honest with you, there's a chance that the Raiders just said, "Hey, this is what we're doing," and UNLV said, "Okay, we don't have any power in the situation." When in fact they should because they have a contract that states otherwise. I don't think it's a massive deal, right? It's still a field; they're still playing at Allegiant Stadium. It's not like they're having to play at Sunset Park or something like that. But it is just sort of a small sort of jab in the ribs of, hey, we can make you do whatever. You Unless want. they took care of them. Right. And UNLV agreed right. to it. Now, once you agree to it, then you're going to yeah. play on the grass. Yeah. If, like your example, what if it was, it, if here's $100,000 and we're going to not roll, not put your turf in, and UNLV said, yeah, okay, that's worth it, then okay, right. that was worth it. Um, the other part that I found was interesting in the joint use agreement, there is a specific timeline laid out for UNLV games have to end 12 hours before a Raiders game starts because they basically outline that's how long we need to get the field ready. Right. There is going to be more than 12 hours from when the Raiders game ends until UNLV right. plays a football game. So there's nothing in the contract about when the Raiders have to be done before a UNLV game because they obviously don't care about that. But I'm just curious when it's like, hey, the Raiders game is going to end at like 8.30, something like that. Yeah, around there. Uh, 12 hours later is 8.30 Saturday morning. The game kicks off at 12.30. So you've got a four-hour buffer there, too, beyond that 12 hours. It seems like there should be enough time to get the turf in there. To roll out the the grass and bring in the turf. Based on the contract. So that part of it also made me say, it's not like they're playing on the same day. They got 16 hours between... One game ending and another game starting, that should be plenty of time to get this done. But apparently, it's not. Or apparently, the Raiders just don't want to have to actually do it and told UNLV, hey, we're not doing it. All right, coming up next, Ben Goats joins the show. Um, yeah, there was a couple choices, but, you know, I thought Vegas is a great fit. You know, they have great players, a great organization. They want to win. They want to compete. And, you know, 
the older you get, you realize, you know, that's what you want. You know, you want to always be competitive. You want to have a chance to win and, you know, uh, show the player you are and play with great players. Um, I wasn't too concerned about a PTO or anything like that, to be honest. Um, obviously, I think this is a different market and different year. You know, the game's changing always, but, you know, I, you know, I still admit going to put up points and I think obviously you know we weren't that competitive last year but you know I still had you know 50 some points or whatever so I I know I can you know do more and do better and you know I'm gonna do whatever I can to help this team win you're listening to the press box summer edition joining us now from the review journal is Ben Goats. Golden Knights signed Phil Kessel earlier this week, a one-year deal worth $1.5 million. Uh, Ben, what should our expectations be for a winger in his mid-30s coming off an eight-goal season that plays in every single game that he possibly can? Well, the expectation should be that he's at least going to create some headlines based on the fact that, yeah, he's going to probably play in the first seven or eight games, which is going to get him the NHL record for consecutive games played. He's one goal away from 400, so he's probably going to hit that milestone, be the 13th American to ever do that. But other than that, I think it's obviously tough to predict what Phil Kessel, who, uh, you know, for his career, I I think as well as many other hockey fans have adored, but is going to turn 35 before the season, uh, has basically done one skill tremendously well in his career, but is not exactly the most well-rounded player you will ever meet. And, of course, did not perform that skill at a very high level last year in terms of goal scoring. He had only eight, the fewest in his career. Now, that was on a very awful Coyotes team, and he himself called that an anomaly because he had 20 goals in 56 games the shortened season the year before. But, obviously, I think this is you know a leap of faith uh, from the Knights that, hey, Phil Kessel, this guy who's had a borderline Hall of Fame career to this point, still has something left in the tank, and we think our depth can get it out of him. But I think there's also a reason that Phil was available for a one-year, $1.5 million contract. You can see this going a lot of different ways for the Knights. Ben, you just said it about Arizona. So give us a percentage on how much it was them and how much that he is declining. Or is it impossible to tell because of where he played? Yeah, I mean, it is really hard to tell how he, you know, based on how he played. Arizona was the second-worst team in the NHL last year record-wise. You look at, you know, the forwards, he was playing with it's not like he's with a ton of guys that are you know experts at delivering the pucks to him it's not like he's on this great power play that he's going to set him up um, exactly all the time I mean I think especially for a guy like Phil Kessel who likes that this or his job is to be a finisher that is what Phil Kessel does if you're looking for a guy who you know is the stereotypical 200 foot player that the Knights talk about, that's not, you know, Phil Kessel. If you're looking for a guy with pleasing speed, that's not Phil Kessel. But if you get Phil Kessel the puck in the right spots, he's going to score a lot of goals for me. He has six 30-goal seasons. He has 12 20-goal seasons. That is what he does. That is what he does extremely well over his career. He's one of the best uh, American players to ever do it in the sport. And like I said, he's a, you know, at that 500 level. So like I said, that makes it really tough to kind of determine, well, if He's not in a good environment. That affects him more than most players because he's not necessarily creating on his own a bunch. Um, he can create for others. He's a very, very good passer, and he led the Coyotes still at assists last year with 44. But he needs kind of help around him to kind of set him up and let him do what he does best. So it does make it very tricky. Um, 
you know, to divorce kind of him from his situation. Um, but like I said, so the Knights are making a bet that I think, you know, it was more Arizona than it was him, but there is still some risk there because if it turns out it was a lot on Phil and he doesn't immediately take off in a new environment, like I said, he does just, you know, he passes and shoots extremely well. And it's not like he has a bunch of other complementary skill sets to make up for things if those kind of things aren't going his way. So that's the risk that the Knights are kind of bringing on here. Uh, but it's sure going to be an entertaining one to watch next year once Phil the Thrill hits the ice. Are you taking the over or under on 16.5 Phil Kessel goals this season? I think I would take the over just because I think that's the role that they're going to put him in. I think Bruce Cassidy, who has just this insane mind for power play, is going to look at a guy like Phil Kessel, stick him probably on the half wall, you know, opposite of Jack Eichel in the Max Pacioretty spot, and that that's going to be where a lot of Phil Kessel's production comes from. I think at this stage of his career, he's probably not going to be a guy that you're going to lean on very heavily five-on-five. I think they're going to try to not have him play elevated minutes you know, with some of their top guys in the lineup if they can help it. But I think they're going to be determined to almost make him kind of a power play specialist. And based on how you know, Bruce Cassidy's track record of drawing up power plays in Boston, I think that will give Bill Kessel you know, enough of a chance where he could potentially hit that over. And obviously, if you're getting anything close to, I think, probably around 15-ish goals from him, you're very, very happy for $1.5 million. Uh, Robin Leonard, we heard from Kelly McCrimmon finally yesterday, uh, says they didn't know until July, until he came back to Vegas in July about these hips. How plausible is that? Um, he goes home. Now he needs two hip surgeries. How plausible is that no one knew about these hips? And my guess is he didn't go home and hurt them. So it just seems July just seems late to me. July is very late. So yeah, the timeline that I think McCrimmon laid out is that he's got the shoulder surgery on May 4th. He rehabbed back here in Las Vegas for about a month, then went to Sweden and his hips were bothering him. But I think what McCrimmon was saying, or at least my interpretation of it was, you know, just a Leonard saying, Hey, my hips are bothering me is not necessarily like immediately like, you know, um, DEFCON 4 cause for alarm because goalies hurt their hips all the time. It's a, a place where you put a tremendous amount of stress on when you're playing the position. I think anyone who watches uh, what Mark Andre Fleury does in terms of getting into that, you know, kind of stereotypical butterfly stance with his legs kind of in a V shape behind him and watch him move around the crease can imagine how tremendously painful that has to be in your hips. And it's one of the most incredible things of Fleury's career that he hasn't sustained kind of a huge injury doing that. So I think the Knights were not initially like, you know, this is something that we have to take very seriously. It's like, hey, you know, not shocking that a goalie has hip issues and then they weren't able to properly kind of go through it and diagnose it and actually get MRIs and stuff like that until he came back to Las Vegas in late July. And by the time that happened, they actually got all this kind of testing done and they realized exactly how serious it was. It was obviously uh, too late for them to kind of you know pivot and do something else in the goaltending market because free agency and trades had kind of played themselves out by that point. So you know just the timing of how this went down, I think obviously did not play in the night's favor at all. Where you know during the period of free agency and stuff, Leonard is off in Sweden. They're not sure what's happening with the hips, but it's not shocking 
that there would be some sort of hip issue, and then they didn't realize until he got back how serious it was. I think there is some plausibility to that, but obviously if you're the Knights, this played out and it probably the worst fashion possible in terms of timing-wise and how they were able to pivot this offseason and it being kind of too late when they got the official news that he's going to miss the year and both hips need surgery, that they weren't able to kind of immediately go to a plan B. They had to go with the Logan thompson Laurent Brassois tandem for next season. So I think it was just all very unfortunate for the team, how it played out, and I'm guessing they're going to try to probably put guardrails in place moving forward to see if there's anything they can do to avoid a similar situation happening in the future. Is Max Pacioretty still a golden knight if they know about Robin Leonard's hips in June? I think it's very possible because obviously they were trying to create cap space. Leonard now opens up $5 million for them. Uh, You know, obviously we'll see exactly how they kind of use this now uh, Robin Leonard cap space. We've seen Phil Kessel already. We'll see and that enables them to do something, you know, maybe different than their initial expectations were with Nick Haig. Maybe they're able to give him more of an AAV on a longer-term deal. That possibility at least opens up. But, yeah, I think it's very fair to say if, you know, they knew July 1st that Robin Leonard was going to miss the entire season with double hip surgery, they would be far less open to moving Max Pacioretty just because they would have had the opportunity to get that cap space that they needed to get all their work done, you know, open a different way. And there could have been other avenues they explore, or maybe they still need to move someone, but it doesn't need to be someone that makes as much money as Max Pacioretty. Maybe it'll still end up working out for them, obviously, because of the fact that Pacioretty uh, tore his Achilles and is expected to be out uh, six months. But certainly I don't think how, this all played out in terms of the patch ready trades and Robin Leonard injury and the timing of all of it uh, was ideal from the Knights' perspective at all. If you don't get what you want in your Nick Haig, would you hold out? I mean, that's the big question. This is a, obviously a huge year for him, new coaching staff, new system. Uh, I don't think he's obviously going to want to hit the ground running. So I think it's an open question about, yeah, whether he would be willing to kind of pull a Shea Theodore and what Theodore did you know, his second season where his, that contract didn't get resolved until the preseason, but that's obviously a risk if you're Haig and you showed that, hey, I think I can play elevated minutes in the lineup in a pinch and I can take on a bigger role here. Um, I think there's a lot of kind of give and take, push and pull there, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Like I said, now the fact that the Knights have, you know, Leonard potentially going on long-term injured reserve and the flexibility that creates, you know, it gives them enough room to kind of match any ask that Nick Haig would potentially want. They have enough wiggle room where it's not, you know, they can't be forced necessarily into an impossible position here. So we'll see. I still believe that ultimately it is going to get done before camp. You look even last year when you know, Nolan Patrick and Dylan Coggle were in the same situation, albeit I think their asks were much less than Haig's is going to be. But those guys both got done in the last eight days before camp uh, deadlines create pressure. So I would imagine that that's around the time that this could end up getting done. Uh, but certainly I think that's definitely an option for Hagen. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the Knights aren't coming off what they want to give him. If he's willing to at least flirt with that when we get around to late September and the start of training camp. Well, he has been goats from the review journal. Ben, they're always a fun team to cover. Thanks so much for Thanks, joining ben. us. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me.
Golden Knights are never boring. No, like, no, there's always news. They're, they're they don't talk about it a lot. They don't, but there's, but always, there's always news going on. There's always something with yes. the Golden Knights. And now it's double hip surgery for Robin Leonard. All right, coming up next, we'll jump back into some college football as week zero is here. We've organized it. Lamar's not playing. There's some starters that need to work. Some starters don't. Probably most starters don't. And some of those guys are going to play, too. We're just managing some of those guys. It's not one size fits all with issues guys have. Some guys took days. Some guys are managing loads. We have all that stuff measured. So you just try to manage that through camp. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. Week zero of the college football season is here. UNLV plays Idaho State. Um, The Mountain West is all about week zero. UNLV. <laughs> Getting some wins? Nah, uh, UNLV mm. is not even close to the only Mountain West team playing. So they're going to host Idaho State. That should be one win. Utah State hosts UConn. I don't know what the line is on that, but I'm thinking. That's Jim Mora. Yeah, Utah State should probably win that, right? Jimmy Mora comes back. UConn's not very good. I would imagine Utah, Utah State. Utah. And they're at home? What the hell is UConn going to Logan, Utah? Whatever. Home and home? With UConn, (laughs) I guess. Wyoming goes to Illinois. I guess Illinois wins that. Nevada goes to New Mexico State, which is probably going to be two bad teams playing football. And then Hawaii hosts Vanderbilt, which normally I'd say Hawaii has a chance, but I'm not sure they have a football program anymore, or neither is their state legislature. So I'm guessing Vanderbilt still wins, even though they got to travel to Hawaii. New Mexico State, the wide receiver coach. Um Oh, Tony Sanchez. Yeah, he gets uh he knows Reno. He's he beat a, him three yeah. times. He's got a. Do you think he takes a little mini cannon with him to this game? <laughs> Wheels in a cannon. He should. He should. He's the last coach to win that thing for yeah. UNLV. So a lot of Mountain West games and two two wins probably for sure in UNLV and Utah State, and then maybe a third, maybe one of those other three teams pulls off a eh. win. I bet they get three wins. I bet they're walking. Mountain West is walking away three and Nevada's two. Nevada's got a chance. Yeah. I, I mean, Hawaii has a chance against Vanderbilt because it's Vanderbilt's got to fly a long way and Vanderbilt's right. not very good to begin with. And Wyoming probably has a chance against Illinois, but they probably aren't going to win that one. But a lot of Mountain West. That could make sense for Hawaii because they have that exemption. They can play a 13th game. Yeah. So if they don't play in week zero, they don't get a bye week. Right. But if they do play in week zero, they get a bye week. So. Hawaii should play in week zero every single year. Uh, the rest of the schools, I think this is just a chance to get on TV, right? Sure. Like UNLV's game moved from, like they were going to play Idaho State in normal week one of the season, but it moved to week zero. And I think it was specifically because CBS Sports Network said, we'll put you on TV. Otherwise, you're not getting on TV when you play Idaho State when everybody else is playing in college football. So a lot of that's for TV. Um, I get here's the th- Here's my problem with week zero in college football. There's very rarely a good game. Uh, Yeah, because the best teams are going to wait for right. week one. Yeah, The biggest game of week zero is Nebraska playing Northwestern in Ireland. In Dublin? Yeah, which, which by the way, sounds cool. Sounds very right? cool. Get on a plane, go to Ireland, play yeah. a game, come back. I assume they have the next week off, but come back and then start your the rest of the season. But, like, that's really the best we could get was Nebraska and Northwestern to to open the season in Ireland. Like, if I'm Ireland, I'm a little upset about that, right? You want Alabama. 
I mean, sure, Alabama's not getting on a plane and going no. to Ireland, though. But you want l- higher levels of teams. Right. I guess, I mean, Nebraska has a good fan base, so I'm sure that... Oh, I'm telling is... you, they would have sold that a year out, and they right. would have... They would have. They will be there. That city's flooded there. with Nebraska yes. fans? I'm but not like, sure about Northwestern. Probably not. Does Northwestern even fill up their own stadium? Uh, Yeah, they've been decent enough to where I'm sure they do. Okay. They've been decent enough recently. I'm I'm guessing I don't know it's, about last year, but they've been good. What what do we think? Ninety five percent red versus purple in that yes. stadium. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's still like as somebody who's going to wake up college football. I think the first game is at nine a.m. Some crappy game at nine a.m. and then this game is at nine thirty. It's like, hey, college football is back. The best I've got is Scott Frost making his offensive lineman throw up in Ireland in Dublin. <laughs> what are you at the pub last night? <laughs> What if that, maybe that's why all of his offensive linemen were throwing up. They were going out and drinking a lot to get ready for, to go to Ireland and then throwing up the next day at practice. Maybe that's all it was. He wasn't working them too hard. He was just like, why are my linemen so drunk? Oh, we're getting ready for Ireland, coach. So college football, week zero. It's back, but it kind of doesn't feel great. Like the NFL, the first NFL game of the season is the Rams almost and the Bills, always, right? It's almost always the reigning Super Bowl champ. And one of the best games on their schedule. Rams against Bills. Yeah, it's almost always a great one. College football kicks off and it's Scott Frost. And somehow Scott Frost being like, well, they're probably like a double-digit favorite in that game. Because Northwestern's not any good. It's like Nebraska, who was the three-win team last year, as a double-digit favorite in Ireland. And it's like, all right, I guess we get cool shots of Ireland. Just saying, a little disappointing. Let's kick the season off with a good game. Let's make week zero mean something other than Hawaii gets a bye week, which is a, why the hell does week zero exist? I'm trying to check for you, by the way. What the line on Nebraska yes. Northwestern? Give me a guess. This is important. Uh, it's ne- gone up. It's Nebraska gone up. 16 and a half. 12. Ah, I'm overestimating what I think of Nebraska. Apparently, 12 for Nebraska. 12 for Nebraska. Yeah. How about uh, UNLV? Oh, is there a line on it? Yeah, I'm looking at one. Uh, 19 and a half. 21 and a half. Oh. Look at that. How bad hasn't moved. Hasn't moved. It's kind of stayed. I'm, at that I'm guessing that line just went up because it's an, usually the FCS games go up like the day before, yeah. not months in advance. Uh, how bad is Idaho State if they're a three touchdown underdog to UNLV? Oh, they're bad. Like normally FCS team. I mean, UNLV lost to an FCS team last year. Normally, FCS I was about teams to say, it's like, come in here and, and play them close or lose now, or beat them. Nevada, I'm, I'd, I'd probably take the points on New Mexico State here. Nevada's eight and a half. Nevada lost a lot. Everybody. Ne- Nevada lost everybody, and they're on the road. They're, everybody. I, and New Mexico State's not any good, usually, but that's I, they lost everybody. Is Tony Sanchez playing wide receiver for New Mexico State? He used to. I know. If he's suited <laughs> up to play, I think New Mexico State's got the edge. Line up there, throw him a couple passes. No, wait, save him. Save him. Close game, fourth quarter. You're in the red zone. You need a touchdown to take the lead. Here comes right. Tony Sanchez. You, you talked about those other Mountain West games, Utah State, UConn. You want to guess? Utah State favored by five and a half. 27. Oh, my God. (laughs) How bad is UConn? 27? Wyoming, Illinois. Illinois, 13 and a half. Oh! Nailed it. Good job. All right. Well, we still have 30 seconds of show. We 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 should have got a break. 27 and a half. That's a, how bad is UConn? Must be brutal. I'm, I'll be honest. I don't know what they did last year, but they must have gone 0 and 12 with losses by 40 points in every game. Seems like it opened at 33. <laughs> <laughs> and then people said, well, they can't be that bad. 
They can't be that bad. What is Hawaii and Vanderbilt? Uh, let me find. You got five find. seconds. It'd, Ed. it'd be the last one, right? It'd be the last one. Uh, Hawaii nine. Uh, Hawaii uh, Vandy nine. Vandy nine.